Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Today's guest is Anthony Morena, the principal at Mortar Group. For more than 20 years, Anthony and his team have focused on real estate in niche New York City neighborhoods and in the process, gaining a competitive advantage among New York real estate boutiques. Mortar Group has developed real estate in some of the most desirable and up-and-coming neighborhoods in New York, including Williamsburg and Astoria. In this episode, Anthony talks about Mortar Group's unique approach to real estate and architecture, the New York City real estate market, and how being a small boutique firm translates to added value for investors. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony. All right, guys, thank you for joining the podcast. We have another uh, great real estate company. Uh, this one is focusing on New York City, really doing some unique things, uh, targeting certain neighborhoods in New York City. We have Anthony Morena, the principal at Mortar Group. Uh, Anthony, thank you for joining the podcast. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So when when Mortar Group came in into our you know uh, sight lines, I guess you could say the first thing that caught my attention was how you guys are investing in in niche neighborhoods in New York City, and I found that so uh, so cool because really it's like you guys know what your market is and you kind of are executing on that. And so that's something that we're definitely going to uh, delve into. At first, though, I, I wanted to maybe give you the chance to introduce yourself, you know, your history at Mortar Group and and, and how you became the, the principal at, at the firm. Sure. No, thank you. I appreciate it. So just, yeah, like you're saying, some background about us or, you know, start myself. I've been doing real estate in New York for about 20 years, going on 21 years. I started off in the field on the architecture side of, of the business, graduated from architecture school, licensed architect in New York. and Early in my career, I kind of set the idea that I wanted to create a firm that would take my background of architecture, but integrate real estate development, which was another thing I was doing at the time, and it kind of merge into this, this group where we can vertically integrate and be efficient with construction, architecture, and development. That's how it started. You know, it kind of went from there to like a friends and family type of business where we did a first do few deals like early 2002, 2003. Uh, with friends and family, and then it kind of expanded from there and kind of, you know, has grown to to what it is today. Mortar Group, you know, over the years has evolved a bit. You know, we're, like you were saying, you know, we're we're a New York-based firm. We do, all of our work is in New York. We kind of stick to uh, what we know. You know, uh, I think we, you know, we're, we're a mid-cap uh, real estate firm. We operate just below like the larger institutional uh, funds or uh, pension uh, investments. You know, we stick with multifamily residential, I would say 95% of the time. We do some office and some retail, but it's mostly residential just because that's that's our specialty. We know how to be really efficient and do it well. Like I was saying, we've done, been doing it for about 20 years. At this point, we've done just over probably 30 offerings, different projects. So we've been pretty active over the years. And you know, we do work in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens predominantly. We do some stuff outside, but for the most part, that's kind of our, our spot. And, you know, we do a mix of ground up construction work uh, and your more traditional value add investment. So I would say it's about 50, 50, 60, 40, depending on uh, on the, the where we are in the cycle, uh, you know, each year. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what we do. Interesting. When you when you say uh, uh, ground up, because in my research, I saw you guys do a lot of value, add, you know, adding value to the to current buildings. The ground up, do you mean like basically demolishing maybe an existing building and then building up from there? 
Yeah. So we'll, you, you know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll find a site or we'll, we'll pull together a few different sites, uh, demolish existing assets that are there, or, you know, if it's a vacant lot and we'll build, you know, traditionally our kind of wheelhouse is usually, I would say 10 to 30 units is, is kind of our specialty. You know, we're kind of in that 10 to $40 million range on, on a deal size. And that's kind of our, our niche that we've kind of worked in. But yeah, it's a mix of, you know, your ground up construction starting from uh, just a vacant lot, designing it in-house, building it in-house, and then bringing it to market and uh, with the disposition and sale. Or your more traditional kind of value add will buy existing assets, existing multifamily, and go through, I would say, a three to four year process of renovating, rehabbing, improving, and just increasing revenue over the life of um the deal uh, with the sale at the exit. So it's kind of, we kind of do a little bit of both, you know, for us internally, it's nice to kind of, to do both, you know, construction takes usually about two to three years to do renovations inside apartments takes a couple of months. So it's nice while you have construction going on to, to get some instant gratification from some, some renovations here and there. And, uh, you know, I think investors enjoy it as well. Yeah. And I think, and as, as we uh, go into some of the details in a little bit, I think that when I was doing research on, on the company, it's almost like a self-contained firm, right? Um, and kind of like your model was like invest, architecture, development. And so you guys are in-house and you guys are, for the most part, right? Like you guys take care of everything. Yeah, for, for the most part, you know, we'll we'll sub out some stuff. But the goal was, you know, uh, early on was like, we want to be a boutique firm. We're not competing with the big guys. We're, we're a boutique shop. We like doing what we do. We can do it well. But how do we distinguish ourselves? So the idea was by combining and integrating some of the the design, the construction, the development in-house, you know, we found that we could be we could be more efficient in some respects. We can boost investor returns uh, in some areas and we can be faster to bring a project from, you know, from a vacant lot or from an empty building to to completion and to sale. You know, we'll still sub out some elements of construction and more on the marketing and the sales and the brokerage side. But uh, as a lot as many of the the pieces that are happening during a construction project or underwriting, we'll, we'll try to take it on. You know, we're a small team, you know, we're about six people uh, right now, but, you know, I think we can be efficient and, you know, we've got, we've got different parts of the team that, that can handle everything pretty well. I think one of those things that, that I, I noticed from the, from the website was like, you are able to establish like up and coming areas and kind of maybe try to buy some properties there. And, and then you talk about investing in New York city. How do you traverse the New York city market? Right. And, and I think, I think like you have, an advantage there where you're not looking at things nationally necessarily, right? Like you're looking at things more locally because you are a New York guy. Um, but even then, like what are the challenges of identifying, or maybe it's not so much a challenge, maybe it's an advantage of identifying specific up and coming neighborhoods in the city? It's a good question. It's something, you know, that, that comes up often. You know, I grew up in New York. Uh, so being with that, you kind of get a natural sense of the, uh, the area and the land. And after doing it for 20 years, you know, we, we stick with certain neighborhoods, certain areas, uh, certain parts of the city that we feel can deliver the largest ROI for investors and, you know, where we can still be efficient in what we do. But, you know, after doing it for a while in certain neighborhoods, you start to get a sense of what pricing is. So we know, you know, when you're looking at new deals right away, we can kind of tell what the value is at the end. You know, the back of the uh, the envelope kind of or you know the, the napkin review is pretty quick and we can kind of see what deals make sense. So we tend to look at a lot of them and we can really kind of parse what makes sense, what doesn't. And then if there is something that makes sense, we can move quickly. And that's kind of one of the advantages that we have. And I think that it's it's served us well in the past. You know, the other thing I think is as we do construction in different parts of the city, 
you start to have a network of brokers or you know even sellers that are looking or owners that are looking to sell different buildings. So you're always hearing about things probably before they go to market. So you get a, an opportunity to, to, to see, you know, catch deals off market uh, right before they go. So, you know, we can analyze those quickly, be efficient. And then, you know, that's, you know, the early underwriting part. And then it's when you're in the anal- analysis of, you know, the sale at the end, you know, we know we have a good sense of, of certain markets and, you know, what they're looking for, what their needs are, what the comps are, what the inventory is or what is coming on. So, you know, I think between those two elements, we can really kind of, you know, take advantage of our being locally based you know, and, and do well. We've looked at in the past that kind of looking outside of the city or outside of, you know, the Northeast for the most part. And I always had trouble with the idea of looking at a place in Miami on Google Earth and trying to get a sense of where that was and what was going on. You know, there's too many kind of items you can miss in that sort of due diligence where you're not really an expert in your location. So for us, it ended up that Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, we can look at any deal. We know pretty much what the numbers are right off the bat. We'll always verify them. But, you know, it gives us a, a leg up, I think, to kind of really kind of dive into uh, to projects and, and do well that way. What is unique about the city? Like, what are the, some of the characteristics that make neighborhoods appealing? Is it like access to, you know, mass transit? You know, is it uh, parks, even access to parks, things like that? Uh, what are some things that kind of stand out to you as, as you're looking at the land? Well, it depends. The other interesting thing about it is like when you look at different neighborhoods, each neighborhood and, you know, there's so many people, there's millions of people in New York City and each neighborhood is kind of has its own demographic, its own culture, its own life, you know, and it's, its own heartbeat to a certain extent. So when you're looking at different different projects in different neighborhoods, you can really kind of see what some neighborhoods are school-based. People are going to those neighborhoods. They're large, they're more for established families. They're looking for good public schools. There's others that are kind of people looking for that are younger in their 20s, just out of college. They're looking for more of an active scene and transportation, you know, and access to to Manhattan and getting to work. You know, that's changed a little bit now with co- uh, after COVID, where people are looking for more amenities in their buildings, which we've all kind of adapted to uh, over the last couple of years. But yeah, I think each neighborhood kind of brings its own dynamic. And f- some of the fun part is is kind of see where we can make things a little bit, we can offer a little bit more for residents coming in um, because we understand their market. Like we have two projects under construction that are that are similar, but they're very different in their neighborhoods. One is Prospect Heights in Brooklyn, which is a, a, a neighborhood for families. It's larger apartments, transportation is important, and it's an established community. Williamsburg or Greenpoint is a completely different dynamic. It's a younger group. It's a more, it's a hipper group. And it's more about just the general nightlife activity and everything that's growing around that neighborhood. So it's, you know, doing work in both neighborhoods, you know, you're, you're designing and you're, you're marking, you're designing buildings completely different, but it, you know, that's part of the fun part, you know, and I think after you work here long enough, you, you can see what you can do in each area to kind of, to make a, a deal work. Um, sometimes you can find hidden gems that, could really kind of help boost returns on the investor side. There could be little details that just being local sometimes can, you know, you can help identify. That's really interesting. Like it's, it's almost, it seems like, you know, you have this, uh, this model that's been working for you for years, you know, for two decades now, like, and you kind of follow it, but within that model, you're being flexible, right? Adapting to the neighborhoods, adapting to the, the, you know, the people that are going to be renting out the places, buying the places. You are primarily in, in multifamily or, you know, um, you know, different multi, you know, room buildings. What else goes into the investment? Like when you talk about adding value, like what are some of the things that might add value, say when we're talking specifically to the building, right? For a family or for somebody that's maybe starting out their professional career, 
what are the things that are bringing those returns uh, to the investors? Well, I think it's I think it's a combination of things. I think the, the first part is when you're buying an asset, um, if you can identify how you can really help an asset to 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 work well on the exit, you can really buy well, you buy efficiently. I think that's the key. It's like when you if you win or lose sometimes just by how you bought something. Because it takes a while to really go through the process with renovations or construction or taking an existing asset and creating it into what you want. Um, but I think, you know, when you're going through the process, you can try to, um, you know, you look at different markets and kind of see, you know, what's the inventory like in certain neighborhoods? What's the price point? Some neighborhoods have a higher price point than others, you know, but we can get more creative in in different markets and kind of, you know, add different amenities to to buildings where we can it will help us rent or stabilize a building faster or bring it to market faster and sell it quicker. You know, sometimes we'll, because we're doing a lot of the stuff in-house, we'll be able to basically pre-lease a lot of our work or our, our projects or pre-sell, you know, before we complete it. So doing that allows us to exit as soon as construction is done. We exit, there's a sale and investors get their back their money back earlier. And it also helps their IRR and their ultimate return because the the just the time that it takes to finish a project has been compressed. Like for us, usually a, a construction project or a, a ground up construction deal from the day investors kind of come in to to fund on a and say they're interested and then they fund, it's usually about thirty months till they get their money back and then they get their return. So it's a really compressed schedule where we'll sign a contract to buy an asset and we'll work in house basically for six months on design, construction, getting everything ready to go before we close. And then right before we close on the acquisition, we'll request you know funding from investors. And so basically we've been working on a project for six months in-house. And if the deal closes, you know, that's that's just, you know, that's great. And we move along. If it doesn't close, you know, we eat the cost. That's just the kind of the price of of how we do business. Because the benefit is that starting, you know, closing on a on an acquisition where you have all your ducks in a row. Uh, and being able to basically start work in construction the day after you close on a loan or now an acquisition really kind of shortens the amount of time that investors' money is is put to work or at, at risk. So, you know, I think ultimately, it, you know, it allows us to finish deals in about 30 months, which, uh, you know, I think investors tend to to like. You know, it fluctuates. Sometimes there you could be a little bit faster, a little bit slower. But overall, when we kind of look at all of our deals and all the projects we've done, it always ends up being around 30 months or so. There's a lot I want to get into, but I, you know that strategy where you're putting six months of work uh, without really knowing if you're going to get the close. You know, I think you got to be confident in your work because if you're if you're if you're putting all that work in nine times out of ten or whatever, I don't know what the numbers are, but the majority of the time you better be closing, right? Yeah, it's a risk that you take. You know, for the most part, I think we've been fortunate in the fact that once we find an asset that makes sense, and before we dive into it, we'll do kind of our own due diligence, make sure it's it's something that can work. But yeah, it's a risk you take, but I think it's one of those those gambles where I think we've become pretty efficient at it. So we know if something makes sense or not pretty early on. And, uh, you know, I think it helps with investors because aside from putting, you know, because usually with the sponsor, you know, we have to, we co-invest with the investors. We provide the guarantee for the debt for the, for the project. But investors knowing that we have put a lot of time in early on and we've spent money in that respect it's it's a it's a different way of kind of showing that we're tied to the work that we do and and to protecting capital and, and protecting you know the investors uh, along the way great point i want to talk a little bit more about that exit strategy when you do acquire a, a building and you said that you know you do a lot of like uh pre-sale work or pre pre-lease 
are you looking when you when you're like say let's say renovating a building are you looking to then get an exit by selling say multiple condos in that building multiple homes in that building or are you then looking to renovate the building add value and then sell it off to a say a, a real estate uh, another real estate investor who will be you know maybe collecting uh, rents or something like that what what are you mostly uh, looking to do you know it depends it really depends on the deal we do both you know we have some projects where we'll start off as ground up construction and we'll sell them as condominiums. So the building is, is, you know, as the building is under construction, we'll, you know, usually we're about 75% of the way along with construction, we'll set up model apartments in that would start pre-sales and we'll start to sell units while we're under construction. Uh, the other half of it is, you know, you're more traditional where we'll, we'll buy an existing building or we'll build a new building, uh, lease and rent out, collect rents, uh, which gets paid out to investors as um, quarterly distributions, quarterly profits that are paid out to investors. And then depending on the term of the the investment term that the uh, the investors are looking for. So let's say it's a three-year deal and year three, we sell the asset to another investor or an institutional uh, fund uh, that's looking for a stabilized building. And then the investors then at the, at the end of the deal, they get back their money, then they get their percentage of profits, and then the deal kind of closes out. And then, you know, we kind of go from there. I want to know if we could take it back to a little bit about uh, New York City. Like you talked about, you know, being able to move quickly in the city once you identify a property. And I'm wondering if that's maybe, uh, you know, having investors ready to go, you know, ready to kind of act on a property. But w- what is the inventory right now? Like what, what is the inventory in the city in terms of like, uh, you know, what's available out there? Um, is, it a, a, is it, you know, we talk about there being a, a, a lot of shortage, a housing shortage, uh, you know, just just even anywhere, especially in an urban area, you know, what is the appeal of, in, of investing uh, in New York City right now? Yeah. Well, you know, it varies. You know, there's, there's the market is kind of has, is having it, it's ups and downs, you know, interest rates are up, uh, sales have kind of slowed a bit, but there's value on the investment side starting to come through where deals that other investors or other firms had done a couple of years ago or bought during COVID or before at lower rates, you know, those are becoming more distressed assets. So now you'll be able to pick those up at a discount and basically take them through the process um, starting at a lower price point. Um, so, you know, those deals are starting to present themselves more often. You know, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're kind of looking at. We're doing a lot of work now in Greenpoint in or Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and then a lot in Astoria and Long Island City in Queens. Um, where we kind of see where we're we're able to find some value in some stuff there. You know, ground up construction stuff has slowed down a bit, but I think, you know, that's always kind of cyclical every three to six months. It kind of has its ebbs and flows. But the value add stuff, I think there is stuff that that really kind of is starting to pencil. For a while, it didn't just because as rates shot up last year, uh, we were kind of in this this a bit of a limbo. But I think now there's deals that are starting to make sense. So that's some of the stuff that we're working on now is just, you know, where can we kind of capitalize and, and be efficient in the work that we do? You know, because we're a small shop, you know, we have, uh, I would say, just under 400 investors that we that we work with in our network. You know, like I was saying earlier, my first project was me and uh, a few family members. So it went from from two or three people to just under to 400. But, you know, it takes time for each project. You know, you have to do well in each deal. Then it's kind of this spreads, you know, by word of mouth and kind of this slow expansion. So with any deal that we do, we're always selective because we want to do, do well by that group. So we can kind of expand our business, you know, and bring in more people and kind of continue to do what what we do. But yeah, I think that's, you know, 
there, there is value out there, but you just have to be kind of, you know, selective in, in what you do. I was also kind of curious about the percentage of, in, of your investors that are New York City investors. Like, do you have investors from all over the country um, or do you have investors specifically, you know, lined up, uh, you know, from the city or just from all over the world? You know, so it, it started off where it was a lot of local investors. You know, the first 10 years of you know, in, in the business was mostly local. And then, you know, as word of mouth kind of started to spread, it started to get on a more national uh, level. Then I think over the last five years, with kind of the advent of or being able to access deals online or through different uh, through different investment portals, stuff like that, the, for the most part now it's it's a national group. You know, there's people from all over. We still have a great number from New York or the the Northeast, but it, now it's Midwest, it's it's the South, it's California. You know, people are coming from from everywhere. You know, and it's interesting because a lot of those investors uh, that are coming from outside of New York. They have, they're looking at us because they have exposure or they have investments in their markets, you know? So they're like, okay, you know what? I have, a, I have an investment in, in Texas, but you know, I want some diversity. So they're trying to diversify their portfolio by looking at stuff in the New York, uh, New York or in the Northeast. So we've met a lot of people along uh, that way. So that's been pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's become, and we have international as well, so it's it's kind of become this broad group. So it's uh, it's been interesting, and you 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 meet a lot of interesting people along the way. Each kind of, you know, because we deal with uh, individual investors, high net worth investors, you know, you're dealing with people, so you're you're speaking to everyone. You're getting a sense of what everyone's kind of looking for. You're getting a taste of what investment people are interested in, and also their strategies. Everyone's kind of got a different strategy on how they want to make their money. Are they looking for passive income? Are they working towards retirement? Are they trying to retire early by hitting certain milestones? So everyone's kind of got their own thing that there is a tax benefit that they're looking for. So it's always these different groups. So it's, um, yeah, it's a broad group from uh, from around and everyone's got their own story, which is, uh, I think is pretty interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit then. Let's get into like the investment deals. You, you mentioned um, high net worth investors. You know, I know you guys are looking for accredited investors, but I kind of want to, you know, if you can speak to uh, in terms of minimum investments, if if there is a minimum at all, you know, in terms of like, or if it varies from project to project and kind of highlight your returns and, and who who are your investors? Traditionally on our projects or on our offerings, it's about a twenty five to $50,000 minimum uh, per investor. And like I was saying, you know, people are from all over the country and each kind of has their own strategy on how to, uh, on how to invest or what they're looking for. So, you know, for us, it's, I think, offering kind of a mix of ground up construction that has a different return profile than your, your value add, which is a safer, more conservative, but also does well on the, on the return side as well, but they're different animals. So I think you try to, you know, show investors different options in, in what you do. But traditionally on the projects that we have, like our traditional value adds work is um, you'll have uh, a project that's uh, after there's an acquisition and an investor kind of comes in, the uh, assets are acquired, and then we'll do a quarterly distribution to investors over the life of the investment. And then at the end of the project, the, there'll be the sale, and then they'll have they'll get a, a preferred interest hurdle, and then there'll be a split between the investor and the and the sponsor. And in the meantime, We'll do so, like we have a project now that we're doing or an offering now where we're doing cost segregation in the first year. So we'll cost segregate, bonus depreciate uh, the assets. So then, what happens is on the investor re- uh, tax returns, they'll get a 
uh, deductions that they'll use. And sometimes they, they'll use our investments to offset gains that they get on other deals. Like if someone does well on, on one project with another sponsor somewhere else, and they, they we can offer them depreciation um, to help offset that game, you know, it kind of works out that way as well. But in one, you know, like I was saying, the, the offer we have now, the investors are getting uh, paid a, a 7% annual interest, uh, preferred interest as kind of their minimum. And then it's 75-25 split uh, over the life of the project. And then at the exit, uh, this one's a little bit longer. It's a, you know, it's a four to five year to hold. It's about a 25% return uh, on an annualized basis after the sale. So you get your quarterly distributions, you get your tax benefits, and at the end, you get a larger kind of payout. Uh, and I think, you know, that's kind of worked uh, for investors as well. You know, traditionally, uh, to the other part of your question, you know, on an annualized basis, if we kind of look at all of our deals since 2001, we kind of float in the high teens to low 20%. Uh, so I would say about, you know, 16, 70% to about 21, 20%, 22% uh, annualized return uh, on our projects. You know, some are higher, some are lower. You know, I've working in New York since 2001, you know, you, when I started, there was September 11th and that, the effect that that kind of had on the market. Then we had kind of Lehman crash in 08, 09, and then we had COVID. So we've seen, we've seen the upsides and we've seen the downsides. So now it's just, you know, when you average it all out, you know, we try to be consistent. Your whole uh, kind of analysis, I think, was was pretty interesting. You guys are, are working on multiple fronts there. Like, you know, you're talking about even uh, the benefits of, a, of tax break, you know, tax benefits. You're talking about, you know, quarterly dividends and, and then your final payout at the end. I mean, a lot of thought goes into that. And as an investor, I imagine that you want to you want to see that in that, you know, by you doing those three things, that there's multiple ways to engage investors and in, in what you mentioned before were their goals. Kind of just curious, you know. I mean, I mean, this is the New York City market. Uh, one thing that caught my attention was you have the, and I don't know if this is the project you were talking about. This project in, in uh, Astoria, Queens. It seems like it's the the biggest pro- project you've had uh, in terms of uh, cost or, or 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 value. And I'm wondering if you could highlight that. Like, what are the challenges? I think it was like a, a, a maybe a 13 million dollar investment. I, I believe the largest deal we've done is a deal right off the about a half a block from the river uh, in Astoria, Haylet's Cove. It's in in total, it's about a thirty-two million dollar deal. Uh, the debt is around fourteen million, thirteen, fourteen million, and it's a 30, 30 unit development, thirty-two thousand square feet. Um, and from a ground-up construction perspective, that's kind of the largest that we've we've done to date. And that was a deal that we bought coming out of COVID with the you know the what became kind of a bit of the COVID discount that you were getting on on assets that were kind of coming out. It was off market. We were able to buy air rights uh, to help assemble the deal, so that's under construction now, and it's moving along well. You know, it's you know you've got to navigate the hurdles that as they're kind of thrown at you. You know, with construction, you're going to always deal with construction hurdles. You've got to deal with the interest rate environment and, and how that's affecting things now. But I think overall, you know, that project is under construction. Will be done by the end of the year. You know, but so far sales are strong, rentals are strong. Things have slowed a bit right now, but I think in general the market is there. You know, invest uh, Astoria is one of those neighborhoods that if there's a low inventory, high growth. During COVID, there was a huge shift in in population that kind of came to that area, that part of Queens, and it took prices up significantly. Where a, a one bedroom would would have been. Eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars is now three thousand, thirty-two hundred. So it really kind of pushed prices up. So I think we're kind of we're in that we're in a position where we can kind of really take advantage of that. And that and this and the return model for this project uh, fits kind of the same kind of 
averages that we're we're kind of looking at uh, historically. That's kind of usually our wheelhouse. You know that that high teen, low twenties uh, return on annualized basis for investors. Usually, that's kind of our goal for uh, for any deal that we kind of really look at. Yeah, and I wanted to highlight too because it is one of the available uh, investments right now for investors. Curious, and then this is kind of like a bigger, bigger picture question. I don't know if you have any, if, if you have any ambitions or any kind of like model. Um, could you, could you spread what you're doing in New York City in terms of like your analysis? And we've touched upon this a little bit, but into other cities, like how different is New York City, say, even from Northeast, uh, other Northeast cities, like say major cities like Boston or Philadelphia? Um, is this something that you can almost you know replicate somewhere else? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things you can replicate it. You just want to be take your time and do it efficiently. Um, we won't really jump into a lot of deals, um, but there's certain markets that we've been looking at and studying for a while, for you know, for years at this point. Just kind of keep a tra- keep an eye on what's going on there, what neighborhoods are, are looking good, what deals are popping up, what what stuff is coming up for sale. You just kind of keep an eye on it, so that in the event that we go to make a position uh, or to make a shift or find a deal somewhere, we can be well educated in what we can do. And, and analyze it quickly, be efficient, and kind of and continue the same thing that we do in New York somewhere else. But we have, I would say, about three to four different markets that we kind of keep an eye on. And I think as this market uh, continues to, the real estate market continues to evolve, over the, you know, evolve over the next next year with rates being where they are, I think there'll be some uh, opportunities where you know we hope to kind of take advantage of. Anthony, thank you so much, you know, for for uh, being on the podcast. I kind of want to. Uh, let you speak, you know, if, if there's anything that I haven't mentioned or, you know, haven't talked about Mortar Group that maybe uh, you feel we should uh, to our listeners, please let me know, you know, let, you know, is there anything that maybe we, we can, we can continue to mention or, or, you know, what is the next step for you guys as you're searching for more investors um, as kind of a, a follow-up question? No, I appreciate it. No, I think, you know, this was great. We kind of touched on a lot of different things and, you know, the goal for us is to, you know, we're not looking to scale to be a giant firm. We're, we're a boutique shop. I like being that way. I like dealing with the kind of deals that we look at. Um, so we're not looking to expand in that size, but we're looking to kind of do more of what, of what we do well. So it's kind of always trying to expand in, in that respect. You know, like we were saying, you know, we have the deal in a story that we're doing that was under construction now that we just kind of touched on. And then we have some value add stuff that we're doing now in, in Brooklyn and Queens that we're raising capital for. Same kind of thing where I think we were able to take advantage of some swings in the market over the last few months and all that stuff, you know, one of the best things I think that we've been able to do over the last couple of years is try to coming after coming out of COVID, the, the biggest thing I learned was communication with with investors and with your team. You know, when people are reading things in the news and all hell is breaking loose all over the country and people want to know how is my investment? Is it safe? What are, what are you guys up to? So we really tried to refine our communications with investors. And to try to lay it all out there with, you know, uh, webinars, videos, uh, progress reports, you know, try to be as transparent with everything. And we set up our investor portal uh, on our website where everyone can kind of access deals 24-7, see what we have new or kind of in the pipeline to see if they're interested, but also kind of check on the existing investments they have, gather all their financials, see what we're up to. And that's, I think, been something that we were working on before, but I think COVID really kind of magnified it and made it work a lot better just by going through the process, you know, and I think just being available to investors is something we've, we've focused more on and, you know, being a boutique shop, we found that one of the benefits was, you know, I'm the principal, you know, we're a small shop where, you know, we're, but 
you know, when you deal sometimes with larger firms, people can get lost in the shuffle. Um, when you deal with a smaller shop like us, it's either myself, our investment manager, or our marketing uh, team that you'll be speaking with. You know, if someone wants to reach out, you know, and is curious or has a question or uh, investor is curious about how a deal is going or, you know, they read something in the paper, they want to, you know, touch base. I think that's the the nice thing that we, we're trying to really kind of lean into a bit and, and focus more on is, is being available and being transparent uh, to investors that, um, you know, they're trusting us with their money. You know, individuals are very different than dealing with a corporation or a, a, an equity fund. You know, people work hard for their uh, for their their money and they're trying to put it to work uh, wisely. So we try to take that with, you know, full seriousness and really try to, you know, uh, work to earn their trust as we as we go. And that's kind of the goal is just as we go, just expand, do more of what we do, but be careful with the trust that's been given to us. So that's kind of the goal. No, that, that's excellent. And, and, you know, me just always continuing to kind of peck and peck. Um, if you don't mind, one more question was, uh, what was it about COVID that really you felt, you know, uh, and I know you mentioned you guys were working on the communication aspect before that, but what was it really about COVID that kind of brought that to the front, right? Well, no, it's a good question. And it's, you know, it's funny as, as COVID starts to be in the rearview mirror, you start to forget very quickly, but it's at the time, if you look at, you know, March of 2020, we had work that was, we had invest active investments. We had construction projects under construction. We had things on the market and the world essentially shut down for six months. And, you know, a lot of, you know, People are reading a lot of different things, you know, what's going on in the markets, you know, different parts of the country were reacting differently. Some markets were doing really well, some were sort of slow. So the idea was just really kind of in two respects. One is with the investors and with our team to really communicate, make sure everyone understands what we're up to. Investments are safe. Um, here's what's going on in the New York market. These Here's how we're adjusting. Um and, you know, to, to make deals still work for the active deals that we had. And then it's also kind of coming out of COVID. What have we learned? How can we be more efficient? You know, what are, you know, dealing in multifamily? What are residents looking for in a building today in 2022 or 2023 that they weren't looking for in 2018? You know, what are the amenities? The, the, the amenities or things that people are looking for has changed drastically. So you just have to be up to date. You have to be kind of focused on, your investor group, but also on your clientele on the, the residential side, the residents, what are they looking for? So you can adapt to that. So it's, it's kind of that the two prong approach to, to dealing with that, which I think we kind of learned uh, through COVID where, you know, just keep your eyes on, on, on what things that are going on and being able to adjust quickly. You know, the nice thing going back to the original idea about being vertically integrated is when you've got the owner, the contractor and the architect in the same office, you can have a 30 minute meeting with your team and make a decision and deal the, the, the adjustment has been made. The pricing, the cost of it has been, a, has been accounted for and you're done when you're not integrated in that respect, you've got to reach out to the architect. You've got to talk to the contractor. It takes weeks, so lots of back and forth, lots of emails, lots of cost involved. When you're integrated in that way, you can really kind of zoom in on something, be quick, efficient, and and keep the momentum going that you're that you're looking to build. Anthony, I think uh, you know you you got a solid case for uh, for the, your your boutique, your company, your firm, how you've built it over the years. Mortar Group, uh, really specializing in New York City, done some some doing some great things. Uh, been involved with some big projects. So I uh, just want to thank you again for. For being on, on the podcast and, and uh, you know introducing yourselves to, to to our investors, you know our community of investors, 
and and what you have to offer. So uh, you know, thank you for your time and, and really appreciate it. No, thank you. I appreciate it. This was great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Take care. New York City real estate is not for the faint of heart. Anthony possesses a unique position as the principal of a small firm that does everything from real estate and architecture to construction and cost analysis. Be sure to check out the latest offerings on the Mortar Group website, where investors can invest right now in neighborhoods like Astoria, Williamsburg, and Prospect Heights. A big thanks to Anthony for coming on the podcast, and as always, a big thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review or follow us on the streaming platform of your choice. Until the next time, take care.